0: Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just praise you. We worship you, Father. Once again, Father, we just commit ourselves to you, Lord. Father, speak to our hearts, Lord. Father, truly, Lord, truly, we want to experience that resurrection power. Father, in every one of our lives, oh Lord, when the whole world is bogged down by fear. Father, with uncertainty of what the future holds. Father, this is, we are the only people, only people With a hope that is forever living. Because we have a God who is living forever. Seated at the right hand far above every principality, power of darkness, seated at the right hand, forever making intercession for us. And therefore, O oh Lord, we as your people, O oh Lord, we don't want to be bogged down by our situations, by our trials, by our difficulties, O oh Lord. And we pray, Father, look, Lord, that we will be a testimony, O oh Lord, to this generation, O oh Lord. Even during this lockdown, we will not lose hope, but we will be cheerful, Father. Thank you, Father. Even as we now meditate upon your words, speak to our hearts, O oh Lord. Speak to our hearts. And Lord, I pray, anoint us to hear the voice of your spirit during this last hour of time. For you you said in your word, he who has ears, let him hear what the spirit of the Lord has to say in this last hour of time. Thank you and praise you. For in Jesus' name, Amen. And it's very interesting that when Jesus um, talks about the parable of the sower, uh, he says, he who has ears, Let him hear what the Spirit, uh, what uh, he has ears, let him hear. That's what he says. Full stop. But when he talks to John and he gives him the revelation, and when he gives these addresses to the seven churches, he says, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord has said. When Jesus was glorified, until Jesus was not glorified, the Spirit was not poured out. And it says in John's Gospel, chapter 7, he, he said, come to me and drink. And this he spoke about the Holy Spirit, which was not yet poured out because he was not yet glorified. And now that he is glorified, he has given us a spirit. Amen. So this morning, even as we meditate upon his word, let's uh, turn our Bibles to First Corinthians chapter 15. And let's read from verse 3 to 7. 3 to 8. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, I also received. That Christ died for us for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and he rose again, the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then at last of all he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. So the... The message of the resurrection is just not um, the witness of the apostles. It was already prophesied in the scriptures. If you if you remember the story of uh, Lazarus and the rich man, um, the rich man says uh, pleads with with God and he says, uh, Father Abraham, he says to Abraham, he says, Father Abraham, can you send Lazarus so that my brothers don't have to come here? And uh, Father Abraham says, they have the law and the prophets. And he says, uh, Father Abraham, if somebody goes from the dead, they will believe. And Father Abraham says, (laughs) if they haven't believed the law and the prophets, they will not believe even if someone rose from the dead. Isn't it interesting that um, this man Lazarus is, is in Abraham's bosom and there was another Lazarus who was resurrected from the dead and the Pharisees wanted to even kill him. You see, if you haven't understood the witness of the resurrection in the scriptures, no amount of uh, signs and wonders will give you any assurance. We have the inspired word of the God. That is our assurance that Christ rose from the dead. Okay, so t- today we will look at the scriptures. We will, of course, now the scriptures is just not the old covenant. It is both the old and, and the new. And Paul Uh, Even as he's talking about this, he talks about this entire chapter, of course, is a chapter about resurrection and we don't have the time or the, or the, this is, uh, let's, the scope of uh, this particular message is huge. And the resurrection is the quintessence of Christianity. If Christ did not rise from the dead, so many things wouldn't have happened. And we look at a few of those uh, truths uh, that because he rose from the dead did happen and We will look at them in the negative, and then we will see how we can look at them in the positive as well. So we'll uh, look at the same uh, passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's read from verses 12 to 19. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? (laughs) That was there right from the beginning, okay? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Let's move on. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty or vain. Yes, we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he has raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the the dead do not raise. For if the dead do not raise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And verses 18 and 19, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable, the most miserable. And Telugu says, Daur Bhagyalam. Daur means, <laughs> it's absolutely useless fellows on planet earth. In other words, that's, that's how... Um, powerful that particular word is therefore what is the relationship between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our faith you want to look at this five truths which I want to uh, point out first and then I want to talk about the application of it in the lives of two people all of our preaching he says in verse 14 if you turn there to verse 14 of chapter 15 he says first truth all of our is vain or empty and your faith is also empty. If the preaching is vain, your faith is also in vain, he says. Why? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 10 and let's read from verse 80. Eh, so not eight, 80, eight, 8, verse 8. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. Look at what he says. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that what God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So, if Christ is not raised from the dead, our preaching is empty. Our faith is also empty because there is no message. And he says, Verse, uh, verse 14 of the same chapter of Romans chapter 10. Uh, 14 onwards. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 onwards. Uh, look at what it says. Now, how then shall they call on him whom they have believed? And how shall they believe of him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So, if the preaching is in vain, where's the whole point of having a preacher? Useless to have even a preacher. And then it says, Verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So he says, first thing he says, our preaching is vain, and if our preaching is vain, there is no faith. There's no, because there's no salvation. The salvation mission is completely out of the picture. Why? Second question, second is, what, what is the second, uh, uh, Relationship we want to look at. Well, let's look at verse 15 of, 2nd uh, Corinthians, I'm oh, sorry, 1st Corinthians chapter 15, okay. Yes, and we have found false witnesses of God. So of the first truth he says that if Christ Jesus did not raise from the dead, our preaching is empty, our faith is empty. Second he says, if Christ has not raised from the dead and we are misrepresenting God. You need to understand that. We are misrepresenting God. Okay, why? Christ died on the cross is a historical fact. But if Christ did not raise from the dead, then God is being misrepresented. That means God is not a holy God. For example, let us see for for these, uh, to understand this idea, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Let's read from verse 22 onwards. Men of Israel hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by god why god gave this approval this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased and that means he was absolutely sinless okay a man attested by god to you by miracles by wonders and signs which god did through him in your midst as you yourselves know and then because uh, even nicodemus comes right and he says except god is with him with you no man can do the signs that you are doing him being delivered by the determined purpose and the foreknowledge of god you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death and he says verse 24 whom God raised up from the dead having loose the pains of death because it is impossible that he should be held by it. Now this is a very very logical statement. You see we're all um, especially we come from engineering background and many of you from science background like logic. Your your bible says the wages of sin is death. Okay. If you if you sin you will surely die. This is a, there is a man who came under the law okay. Who was born of the woman, who was born under the law, and he never sinned. And if he never sinned, logically, he should not die. Okay, if, even if he dies, death should not hold him captive. And if death holds him captive, then God is not unrighteous, is unrighteous. Because he punished a man who did not sin. Logically. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus never sinned, therefore it's impossible Possible for death to lay hold on him, and God is what? Righteous. Therefore, look at Acts chapter 13. Let's read from verse 26 onwards. Look at what it says. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to your to to you, the word of the salvation has been sent. What is that? For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets which were read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb and verse 29, but God raised him from the It is impossible. Because if God would not raise him from the dead, then God is unrighteous, but God is just And that is the reason why if you turn to 2nd Timothy, 1st Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 and 16, look at what it says. 1st Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 and 16. Before, if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of ground of truth. And verse 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God Was manifested in the flesh. Justified in the spirit. How was he justified in the spirit? Romans chapter 1 verse 1, 2, 3 and 4. Paul a bond servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle separated for the gospel of God which he promised before through his prophets where in the holy scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead so God raised him from the dead you know why the spirit justified him saying you know what this man never sinned so If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, what are we doing? We are misrepresenting God. First thing. Second thing. Okay. We are misrepresenting God. That is the reason why it says in Exodus chapter 34, right? If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 34, verse 4, 5, 6 and 7. It says, he cut two tablets of stone. Like the first ones, then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. What was the name of the Lord? The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and then he says by no means clearing the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation god is a righteous god and god is a merciful god and that is the reason why it says mercy and truth have kissed each other on the cross but if he was left on the cross god is unrighteous therefore he had to raise him from the dead so We are misrepresenting God if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead. First, what is that? Our preaching is futile. Our faith is futile. Second is what? Hmm, We are misrepresenting God. Third, verse 16 and 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Why? Because you are still in your sins. What a tremendous truth this is. As I said, God, it was not why God died. I'm oh, sorry, it is not how God died. It is why God died. You see, it's always a mystery which is hidden from the ages. A mystery which is hidden from the ages. Okay. What a tremendous mystery this is. That is the reason why the psalm writer, the hymn writer says, this mystery all, immortal dies. Who can explain his strange design? In vain the firstborn self tries to sound the depths of love divine. This mystery all, let earth adore, let angel minds inquire no more. Amazing love, how can it be that thou my God shouldst die for me? There's a mystery. It is not that why how why god died sorry it is not how god died it is why god died and this mystery was already always hidden in the old testament as i said it is in the scriptures and it is given to us in a very interesting psalm do you know which psalm i'm talking about it's not psalm 22 of course we know that psalm generally used during uh, 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 oh, sorry the crucifixion on passover we speak about that psalm any other psalm psalm No. Any other psalm which particularly closes this mystery, encapsulates this mystery? No. Let's turn to Psalm 49. (laughs) You see, (laughs) this is the most unlikely of psalms. And I'll tell you something. I'll give you an introduction as to who wrote this psalm. Okay. You'll not see it in your computers because computers have, uh, have eliminated that. It is the psalms of the sons of Korah. Okay, who are these son, Who are the sons of Kora Baba? These are the people who saw the hef, the uh, earth opened, or and people going into hell alive. Okay, they had a not a vision; they had a live telecast, or uh, I would not even say live telecast. They had a they had a complete understanding of what hell is, and they saw their own people going into the hell into hell alive. There were two people, as I said, who were taken into heavens alive. Nobody saw that. But so many people saw people being taken into hell alive. And those fellows said, you know what? We don't want to have any part with with our father's sins. And they ran for their lives. And God gave them a fantastic, you know what, Um uh, Revelation, I would say, encapsulated in song and in mystery. Alright, that is the reason why it says, you no, know, he, he told them from the books and uh, from the law and the Psalms and the prophets things concerning himself. And this is, I'm sure, one of the Psalms Jesus expounded. We don't have that, unfortunately, but it's okay. God has given us a spirit so that we can have the revelation. Then to Psalm 49, look at this and let's, let's read from one onwards. This is a Psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this all people, give ear all the inhabitants of the world. Okay, so everybody, all people, this is not just for Jewish, Jewish people, this is for all people, thank God. Both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. Okay, I will incline my ear to a proverb, I will disclose my dark saying on the harp. You know something, one of the things that we lack in these generations is... Singers who encapsulate prophecy. One of the worship leaders in, during the, during the, uh, time of the tabernacle of, uh, David, who, is, you know whose name, what was his name? Asaf. You know what he's called? He's called Asaf the, ha. Huh. Na, na 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 na. He's called Asaf the seer. He's called the Asaf the prophet. He was actually a worship leader. And you know what? Those are the people because they had, I would say, a, uh, a king who loved God and they were all accountable to that king. What had happened was there was a worship team, if you, if, if you can, if you can say that, under the leadership of Asaf, which literally prophesied. Okay. What we lack in these last days are worship leaders who do not have the gift of prophecy. They just come and sing songs, because they have not, what do you say, uh, accepted or apprehended or appropriated the work of cross in their own lives, and they are not walking in obedience, and then they are not walking in, in in submission to authority. What has happened over a period of time, they just come and sing songs, all emotional songs, but there is no proverb, there is no prophecy, there is no seeing, and there's, there is no, no deliverance. You see, most of the time, people who come to church, they come, With real, real difficult baggages. And not, we cannot expect everybody to be prepared to come to church. But is it possible if there was one worship leader who had the anointing of God over his life. And was cut through. And who has the vision of God. Who has meditated upon the word of God. Who had the spirit inspired music. How much different our worship services would be. You don't have that, unfortunately. Anyways, let's read it. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my saying on the heart. Look at what he says. Why should I fear in the days of evil? When the iniquity of my heel surrounds me? Beautiful, isn't it? It's a rhetorical question. Other translations will use, when wicked people surround me, and we are, we are in the days of evil. And the question to all of us is, are you fearing? Or do you have the assurance of the sons of Korah? You know why? You do not have the assurance of sons of Korah because you do not have the spirit which is inspiring the sons of Korah. Look at what it says. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches. Okay, there are a lot of people. None of them can by any means, what? Redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. Can we have 7 to 10 in NIV? beautiful. 7 to 10. Let's read from 7 to 10 in an IV. Okay. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. (laughs) It's impossible for any man to give payment for a man's life so that, the next verse, that he should live on forever and never see decay. You know what? I'll I'll read it from different different translations. Okay, I just wrote it down. This is what the NIV says: For the redemption of their souls is precious, and it sees it forever. This is uh, KJV: That he should still live on forever and not see corruption. This is NIV: The ransom for a life is costly; no payment is ever enough, so that they should live on forever and not see decay. NLT: Redemption does not come so easily. For no one can ever pay enough to live forever and never see the grave. ESV, for the ransom their of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. NASB, for the redemption of his life is costly, and he should never cease trying forever, that he should live on eternally, that he should not undergo decay. You see, this has been given to who? <laughs> to the sons of Korah. And what they are saying He's saying it is impossible for a man to give a ransom for him so that he should live on forever. But what are the wicked doing? Look at what the wicked do. The next verse. For all can see that wise men die. The foolish and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. In other words, go to the highest educated person on planet earth. For example. The, the brilliant, the most brilliant mind in the 20th century, by any stretch of your imagination, would be Albert Einstein. They actually took his brain, and they are studying his brain, but, but that man is dead. He's dead. The most intelligent fellow on planet Earth. Who actually invented the science behind death. What we call as the atomic bomb. Okay. All can see that wise men die. The foolish and the senseless alike perish. And they leave their wealth to others. Next verse. Their inner thought is that they will last forever. Ever. Wow. I mean, you should go to uh, Balanagar circle, okay? If you keep go, driving to Balanagar circle, I go every uh, Tuesday for my Bible study, I take that route. There is one statue of uh ex-political uh, leader. His name is P. Janardhan Reddy, P.J.R. Okay, one statue is there. You know what they call him? God. God, P.J.R. That's what is inscribed. I said, if he is God, why is he dead? He's dead? Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever. Their dwelling place to all generations, they call their lands by their own name. <laughs> they write down. <laughs> you know that? Ithakota residency. <laughs> Just giving you an example. Uh, you know, Nevertheless, look at what he says, verse 12. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. Next one. This is the very this is the way of those who are foolish and their posterity, who approve their sayings, right? A <laughs> lot, of, lot, of, lot of people know, um, we have, uh, what do you call, uh, Nirankari Mission. How many of you heard? Sant Nirankari Mission. I will tell you why Sant Nirankari Mission is so famous in my mind. I, I used to have a neighbor when I was in Canada. He was a, he's a Punjabi. And uh, uh, he used to have Satsang. In that satsang, there was this man who 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 accepts people from different 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 backgrounds okay different backgrounds keeps on saying they what are the, what do they say? I will show you the truth, I will show you the truth, I will show you the truth and uh, he dies another fellow comes in his place they continue his sayings okay this posterity continue their sayings, but you know what our God is alive. Every other God and every other leader is dead. And then verse 14. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. And their beauty shall be consumed in the grave. Far from their dwelling. Okay. But God will redeem my soul from the... Power of the grave for he shall receive me, Selah. Do not be afraid of, of when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. You can stop there. You see what is, what he's saying? You know what? The disciples, even disciples didn't believe it. You know what they believe? This man is living a righteous life. If I live like Jesus, I will also live forever. He should never die. You know, everybody says I should live like Jesus. It is impossible to live like Jesus unless what? He lives through me. None of the the disciples believed it. Even Mary Magdalene did not believe. None of them believed. You know, it tells me this. Saving faith is an impossible faith. It's impossible. Unless and until you really, 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 really know, Lord, it is not by my works. It is by accepting you as my Savior and you living your life through me. You see, Ransom of a man's soul is so, so precious. Nobody can ransom his soul. That is the reason why turn to Mark's Gospel chapter 8 and read from verse 31 onwards. This is what, after he asked them, you know, who do you say, who do you say the Son of Man is, right? This is what it says. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Then what do they do? He spoke this word openly, then Peter took him aside and began to Rebuke him. Now look at the construction over here. Then he turned around, looked at his disciples, and rebuked Peter. Okay, so he's rebuking all. Okay, he's rebuking all. Get behind me, Satan, for what for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. What do things of men? What are the things of men over here? If I live a good life, I will never die. But you see so many people who are thinking that they live a good life, they're all dead. And he starts beginning to uh, rebuke Jesus saying that you cannot die. And then you know what? In the same chapter, look at verse 36 onwards. Look at what he says. Jesus says something very interesting. He says, for what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know what God gave? Gave his son for the exchange of our soul. You know why? Because nobody can give any redemption so that he will never see the grave and never see decay. But God did it. Okay? So, the third, what is the third truth? Our faith is futile and we are still in our sins if Christ did not rise from the dead. So, the first, first three, first, first uh, uh, lesson that we learn is. Our preaching is futile. Second, we are misrepresenting God. Third, we are still in our sins. Fourth, all those who are fallen asleep in Christ Jesus have perished. Therefore, if Christ did not rise from the dead, there is no hope for those people who are dead in Christ. (laughs) Therefore, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at what Paul says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 onwards. Okay. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who do not have hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep and then... For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of the Lord. And the dead in Christ, not me, will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to, the, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And verse 18 says, comfort one another with uh, these words. You see that? Therefore, if those who, if Christ did not raise from the dead, all those who have died in Christ Jesus have perished. That means what? What is perished? Eternally. Eternally they have perished. Okay. So the first, again, let's look at the first truth. First truth. Our preaching is futile. Our faith is futile. Second truth, we are misrepresenting God. Third truth, we are still in our sins. Fourth truth, those who have fallen asleep have no hope. Fifth truth, the most important for us who are alive. If in this life only, verse 19, we have hope in Christ Jesus, of all the men, we are the most pitiable. You know what? If Christ Jesus did not rise from the dead, Christians are the most pitiable people. They are the most miserable. Because they cannot enjoy the world, And they will say, what is the use of enjoying God? You understand? You cannot enjoy the world? You cannot enjoy God. You are right in the middle. And I'm telling you, so many believers are miserable. Because, because they, when they go to the world, they get convicted. And when they come to God, they, they don't have the tenacity or the hope that if I endure these two hours of teaching, then there is something which of eternal value that I have because their life is all about this life. Okay. So when we take the, tell them, you know, be prepared for the Lord's coming, be sanctified, be made holy, they'll say, what is the whole purpose? You know why? Because their life is all about this life now. My best life, N-O-W. Okay, that is the reason why, you know, in Luke's gospel chapter 6, you know what he says, you don't have to turn that. Blessed are, you know, uh, woe to those who are happy now. Woe to those who are fed now. Woe to those who are enjoying now. You will all cry, you will all weep, and you will all be hungry. But woe to those, but happy are those who weep now. Happy are those who are poor now. Why? Why? Because we have a hope. See, the most miserable set of people on earth, if Christ did not rise from the dead, are Christians. I'll tell you why. Here's one man who lost all this. Okay. He's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. We know this man very well. Look at what he says, verse 17 onwards. He lost his hope. uh, 2, verse 17 onwards. Therefore, I what? Hated life. Because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me for all his vanity and grasping for the wind. You know, this man, he enjoyed madness. Okay, he enjoyed folly. Okay, he enjoyed pleasure. He enjoyed woman and he said all is useless. He enjoyed madness. How can anybody enjoy madness? Folly, he says you know uh, this this is there in all of us actually i i think i shared this sometime back there's a guy there was a guy called larry walters how many of you have heard heard of larry walters okay for those of you who didn't hear about larry walters this larry walters had this brilliant idea what was his brilliant idea i want to fly into the sky how do i fly into the sky i'll take a chair take take a few ropes attach that chair to the roof of my home Okay, I'll get about 200 helium balloons, tie it up into my chair and sit on the chair and fasten myself with a seatbelt. And I'll ask my girlfriend to chop off those two uh, ropes and the helium balloons will take me up and I'll have an air gun in my hand. Okay, and then I'll keep flying, flying, flying. So if I have to come down, I'll shoot one uh, balloon at a time and slowly I will descend. He didn't even do test flying. He called all the camera people. Everybody came. So his girlfriend is downstairs. Uh, the camera people are here. And then he put uh, his chair there. He took the air gun in his hand, goggles, fastened the seat belt, and about 250 air balloons, uh, helium balloons. And then he said, "Yes, ready to go." All the cameras watching him, screening him live. And then he said, "Okay, come on, ready to go." So girlfriend, that's one thing. He she just cuts off the two. Ropes and boom! He just shoots up into the air, and he's like totally baffled. Okay, he was like, he's he's a, he's like totally rattled by the speed with which he just flies into the air, and he's going almost like sixteen thousand feet. Now he wants to come down, so he says, "Okay, let me do something. I will immediately take my air gun, air gun, and let me start shooting one balloon at a time." And he shoots one balloon, pat, and the gun recoils and it slips from his hand and it falls. And he's flying in the air now, doesn't know what to do. Is this is happening in California. All mad people over there. Folly, Baba, folly, folly. I'm telling you, I'm not joking. I had my relative, my own relative, who's gone to California. She went into the airplane and jumped off the plane, skydiving, and shot the whole thing on, YouTube, uh, on, on camera and put it on YouTube. I said, what kind of madness is this? Why are you playing with your life this is folly so this guy venture, goes into the air and now he's he's there now he doesn't know what to do he lost his air gun girlfriend is saying what is what is going on he says pull me down pull me down i've lost my gun all those people who are fighting against gun laws in the us have to take <laughs> have to think twice now and this fellow he doesn't know what to do so they call the air force now he is reaching the los angeles airspace flights are landing so they don't know what to do. They stop all the airplanes to get this fellow rescued first. So they have military helicopters escorting him. Slowly they escort him down, do something and get him down onto the airport. And they don't know what loss this fellow has broken. They know that this fellow has broken some laws, but they don't know what loss he has broken. I mean, they there on YouTube. I'm not uh, making up some story. So they charge them for uh, com- coming into somebody somebody's airspace for some, some six thousand dollars or something, and then he goes to court, fights against that, and gets down his uh, punishment to about two thousand dollars. He was he's about forty years old when he does that. Three years later, he commits suicide and he dies. He's interviewed on national television. Madness. Madness. I mean, I'm stunned when I heard that story. So you give yourself to madness under the S.U.N. You'll be empty. You'll be miserable. You give yourself to success and you had the most decorated Olympian in the history of Olympics. We had Michael Phelps with 27 gold medals. And you know what he was doing at the last, at the end of his career? He was fighting depression and he was given over to marijuana. what about pleasure you know what 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 uh, what solomon says i gave myself to pleasure all the while my mind directing me in other words everybody who actually consumes any substance his my brain gets fried and god gave him a special grace apparently that he could document all the results when he's given himself over to wine and you know what he says vanity so pleasure is vanity folly is vanity so Mirth is vanity. Comedy shows are a vanity. You know how many comedy actors who have committed suicide? Robin Williams. In our own generation, the man who made so many people laugh. Empty at the end of the day. Empty. And ironically, all this is happening in places where Christ is being preached. And they forgot Christ. And what has happened, they cannot enjoy life. Neither can they enjoy God. They're miserable. And then he says, therefore, verse 17, he says, I hated life. So many people says, I hate my life. You know why? Because you're living under the sun and not under the sun who rose from the dead. And he says, the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. You you name a person who says, I'm enjoying my work. After a while, he gets depressed and he goes to something else. He says, what am I doing all these years? And no amount of success is enough. You know, there's an empty space in your heart. Only God can fill that heart, that empty space. And you can take as much of success and fill it. It will just consume because you know what? That is a vacuum and only God can fill it. It is a black hole with infinite gravity. It's a black hole. You know what he says? All his vanity and grasping after the wind. And he says, then I hated my labor. Oh, you, you should ask people, do you really enjoy your work? You know, one of the things that, uh, they asked, uh, the Jewish, uh, movie maker, forget his name. Not Stevens, not Stevens, huh? No, 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 Jewish. Forget his name. He says, he, I never watch my movies. Even if they're, they're a hit. Because if I watch my movies, I, it depresses me. Because I, because I see all kinds of mistakes in that movie and I get depressed. It becomes a blockbuster hit, but it depresses him. Woody Allen. Exactly. Woody Allen. That's the name. He hates his labor. Because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And we don't even know what kind of a fellow that fellow is. That's exactly what happened to Japan. You know what the Japanese say in these days? They say we made so much of money and our younger generation do not know the hard work of their fathers. And it's happening even in israel today israel today we had a first generation after they came from the holocaust 1948 they fought and fought and fought and fought for their motherland and the next generation comes they do not know what price their forefathers had to pay for their for their freedom and now what they want to do they want to negotiate land for peace because they do not know the price that their fathers have paid it's all vanity because they have forgotten god the savior and what do they want to make israel into the hong kong of the middle east is that where you have ended up ended up yourself to? You were supposed to be the light to the nations, the hope to the Gentiles? You forget God. This is what's gonna happen to you. The next generation doesn't even know the price for peace. And you know most of Israel is atheistic. They don't believe in God. You have a, a a small bunch of Gentiles, a community in that who is Orthodox, and there are liberal Jewish Jewish people also. Very small, minute, minute majority of the Jewish people are Orthodox actually, who believe in God. I'm talking about Israel, which has been created in a in a in a in a in a, in a miraculous way, and they got back uh, Jerusalem. After a six-day war, 1967 war, six days God gave them rest on the seventh day. And they went to that wailing wall and their forefathers, they put those prayer requests saying, thank you God that in six days you give us Jerusalem. But what has happened to the next generation? You know what has happened? They have become a generation who would have no value for the freedom that that their forefathers had paid to get that piece of land. And what are they doing today? They're fighting the very government which is fighting for their land. And you have one of the, some of the most anti-Semite people are, you know what? Anti-Israeli people, some of the most anti-Israeli people are Jewish. Talk about Noam Chomsky. Jewish, anti-Israeli. Father of artificial intelligence. You see, this is what happens. Next verse, he hate all my labor. Next verse. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I have toiled and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. Therefore I turned my heart and despair of all the labor in which I have toiled under the sun. And then, for there is a man whose labor is wisdom, knowledge and skill. Yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and great evil. For what has a man for all his labor and for all the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful, his work burdensome, even in the night his heart takes no rest. There is also, this also is vanity. And then he makes a very interesting statement. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink, that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God, but for who can eat? (laughs) Immediately, immediately he he, he negates the very statement he made in the previous verse. Or who can eat? Or who can I enjoy more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting, that he may give to him who is good before God. This is also vanity and grasping after the wind. He says, whether it is wise or whether it is full everybody, whether it is righteous or the unrighteous, everybody under the S.U.N. have no hope. And therefore he's telling to ask Christians, if you think that in this life only you have hope in Christ Jesus, you are the most miserable of all people. And that's a fact of the matter is most Christians do not enjoy life because God will not give them pleasure for sure. Because you know what? Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Verse 9 to 11. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Sheol nor will you allow your holy one to see corruption. Because he did not allow his holy one to see corruption, you will show me the what? The path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And C.S. Lewis makes a fantastic statement. Let me read it for you. I read this from Mere Christianity. You know what he says? The Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. Why? A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Then there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly desires and pleasures were meant to satisfy it, but only to, not to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care. On the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other hand, never to mistake, mistake them for something else, of which they are only a kind of a copy, or an echo. I must keep myself alive, in myself the, uh, alive, the desire for my true country. You know what my true country is? True country is heaven. All my pleasures point out to God, and not to earth. Paraphrasing, the last part. All my pleasures pointing out to God and not to earth. And you know what Jesus says? If, uh, Paul says, if in this life only, if in this life only, you have hope in Christ, baba, of all the people you are most miserable, your time, something, for something in your, in, in God, uh, something in this world other than in God, you will not find it. You will be disappointed to the core. So think about us now. Think about us as believers. Haven't we tasted a bit of God in these 21 days? Do we need stupid movies? The presence of God is enough for us. Haven't we, haven't we enjoyed God? Haven't we enjoyed each other? I am sure we will miss each other after we finish these 21 days. For sure. For sure. That is the reason why he says as for the saints in the land they are the excellent ones in whom is what almighty light. He is not exaggerating, my dear brothers. Actually, we are a people who get easily satisfied. Let me tell you something. We are a people who get easily satisfied. In Telugu, there is a saying called Alpa Santoshi. Alpa Santoshi means with small things, he gets easily satisfied. If you are getting Santosham in your sex, it is small thing. In movies, small thing. In madness, small thing. You know, when you go to God, you'll be mad with love because of the kind of things that he's going to show you. You never thought, Ari? I never thought I had the brains to understand this. I was getting zero in math when I was there in, at home. In downstairs now, my, my brains are able to comprehend these complex realities. Wow! You want to enjoy madness to the full? You'll be madly in love with God when you go there. All madness, all mirth, all satisfaction in God. You know what? Christ came to show us the path. The path of resurrection life so that we could enjoy him. Oh, I cannot reiterate that more and more and more. And I wish that we had a little taste of that heaven on earth. Do you long for that? Ask God. He will give you that. So, that is the five things which I want to talk about. Don't put your mind in the in the dust like this and look at dust. Like that eagle, no? It was among the chickens. And it, all where, where do the chickens look? And so the eagle also thought it was a chicken. Small eagle, eagling. What do you call it? Eaglet, okay. Eaglet also thought it was a chicken and it was doing like this, like this, like this, like this. And suddenly one day, he just looked up into the sky. And he saw one big eagle soaring and soaring and soaring above the skies and he says, I wish I could be like that. And suddenly the other fellow said, hey, put your neck down, Ray. That is an eagle. You are a chicken. Really? Look at you. And slowly even as I grew up and one of the, one of the chickens said, hey, you actually don't look like me. You're different. He said, really? And he started to flap his wings. They started flying. And he discovered, boy, life from there is completely different. And you know what Jesus says? I've seated (laughs) you with me. Where? In the heavenly places in Christ. That is the reason why those who wait upon the Lord shall mount up on wings like eagles. Once they mount up on wings like eagles, you know what will happen? When they run on earth, they will not faint. When they walk on earth, they will not go weary. They will never grow weary. You know why? Because they've already seen the end from the beginning. They have the vision of the eagle. Already? So these are the five truths which I really, really enjoy about the resurrection. So many things which I can talk about. But now, I want to see how this resurrection the message of the resurrection worked in two individuals life and already pastor mentioned one of them and i was thinking pastor can you please stop i can say more <laughs> I, I thought I, I thought he was going to say the whole thing but it's okay no problem so we will just in the mouth of two witnesses everything gets established okay uh, let's see from john's gospel chapter 20 Verse 20 and less verse 1 onwards. Let's read from verse 1 onwards first. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene. I like that. Nobody else has mentioned Baba. In, it's interesting that every gospel account mentions the name Mary Magdalene. So we have to take heed. Of all the women, we have to zero in on this person. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. While it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Next verse. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and said to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Of course, that is how John is referring himself to in this particular gospel. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Again, Mark's gospel, chapter 16. Who is this Mary Magdalene? Verse nine. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he already arose. He appeared first to who? Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast off seven demons. You know who the first witness to the resurrection was? First, she was a woman. Why is this significant? Why is this significant that the first witness to the resurrection was a woman? Okay, that's very, that's so, you're stretching your imagination too much. Okay, that's fine. No problem. (laughs) Okay, it's uh, something which is which I thought was very, very interesting. You know, many of the apologetics, people who do apologetics, I'm not into apologetics, they say that this, we know that the Bible is true because the first witness is a woman. Because in that culture, no woman's testimony was accepted. Look at what the Jewish rabbis believed. You know, you don't have to turn. I'm reading it for you. Okay, It is not there in the Bible. Okay? This is what they believe. Okay, It is better for the words of the law to be burned than to be delivered by a woman. They never accepted the testimony of a woman. What do the Muslims believe? The testimony of a woman is worth half the testimony of a man in court. That is the culture which she was living in. And in that culture, you know what God does? He comes first and he says, you know what? I am risen, Mary. The first witness of the resurrection is a woman. Now he says, okay, fine. Maybe she was an honorable woman. Like Mark Anthony says, they're all honorable men. (laughs) There's nobody honorable, Baba. That's the whole point. It's only by grace. The incredible thing is that the first witness to the resurrection is just not a woman, but a woman who was perfectly demon possessed once upon a time and was delivered by him, by him. You know what? It gives me hope. Maybe you are a person who are despised. And looked down upon because of your past. Maybe you were given over to sensual lifestyle. Considered as the least in your home. And in your, among your, among your friends. Nobody even wants to talk to you. The irony of it all. My God. The God who created the heavens and the earth. Considered this woman. Worthy enough. To be the first witness of his resurrection. That is a testimony. Of the incredible grace of God. Why do I say that? Why do I say that? Chapter 20. Of John. See what I am studying. I am teaching you. I have learned it over the years. Okay. So if there if there's something not new, just act as if it's new. Okay, at least. <laughs> Let's read from verse eleven onwards. Eleven onwards, yeah, eleven to thirteen. But the but Mary stood outside the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head, and other at the feet, where the body of Jesus was laid. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you praying? That's the first question, of course. Now, that's very interesting, isn't it? A detail is very interesting in verse 12. What is the detail in verse 12? Verse 12 says, this, She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus was laid. Every theologian believes this. You know what he says? Every theologian believes that this is the symbol of the mercy seat. Two cherubim and looking in to the body of Jesus. Now this is the resurrected body. Look at this. There are two descriptions about the Ark of the Covenant. I mean one description of the Ark of the Covenant mentioned twice in the Bible. First, it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Let's read from verses uh, three to four. Okay. Three to four. The people, when and when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. And the two of the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And what happens to them, you know, they, are, they die. You now, something interesting happens also in chapter 6 of verse 19 of 1 Samuel. Chapter 6 and verse 19. Uh, verse 18 onwards, 18 onwards, okay. <coughs> uh, and, and the golden arts according to the Philistines, etc. Yeah, verse 19, yes, verse 19. Then he struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked at the Ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the next verse, And men of Bethshemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Holy God? You know what? Anybody who saw the Ark of the Covenant, they would die. Even the high priest He would go once into the holy, most holy place, once on the day of atonement. You know what he was supposed to do? First of all, he is to take incense. And he has to fill the most holy place with incense. So the Ark of the Covenant will be covered with incense. Then he has to take the blood of the bull, which he is supposed to offer for himself. Go inside, ensuring that the Ark of the Covenant is completely covered with what? With the incense, okay. Otherwise, if it is not sufficiently covered with incense, he would die. So he would go there, seven times he would sprinkle, (laughs) make atonement for his sins and rush out. And he would consecrate the whole thing. Nobody was given access into the most holy place, not even the high priest. And the grace of God after the resurrection, the first person who was given access to the most holy place was who? Mary Magdalene was a completely, once upon a time, demon-possessed woman. And God says, you know what? I will, I will give you a revelation of my holiness. Now you can come boldly and confidently. You know why? Those days, my ark was covered by the incense. But now you are covered by me. And once you are covered by me, nobody can strike you dead in the most holy place. And therefore you can come. First Hebrews chapter 4. You know this verse very well. And verse, last verse. Last two verses. Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore come boldly and confidently to the throne room of grace to obtain mercy. That's the first thing. Second thing where the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned. This particular phrase, "the Lord of hosts between the cherubim," is interestingly found in Isaiah chapter thirty-seven and verse um, twelve onwards. Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan and Haran and Razef and the people of Eden over in This is Ravshake, okay? He is laying it down, is threatening. Rabshakeh is a symbol of the principalities and the powers of darkness. This is satanic power, the Assyrian empire, which was a symbol at the seat of Satan. And then, where is the king of Hama, the king of Arpa, the king of the city of Sepharvim, Hena and Ephaya? Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went to the house of the Lord, spread it before the Lord. And in what he says? Look at the next verse. And Hezekiah prayed, saying, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim. You know what? The first person who saw the vision of, or the symbol of, of the mercy seat who was possessed by demonic forces all our life. You know what God is saying? Just like the way I delivered Hezekiah from every power of darkness, I already delivered you. And you know something? You will never, ever, ever have to work how to be under the oppression of the demonic anymore in your life. Because I've taken it off. I've defeated the power of darkness. How do I know? Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. Look at what it says. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. And uh, after that you go to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 and 21. Having disarmed principalities and powers and he made them a public spectacle, triumphing over them. How? Uh, Verse 14 actually. Verse 14. Verse 14. Two, fourteen, and 15 actually. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers of darkness, he made them a public spectacle. How? Triumphing over them. Now he's th- on the cross, he triumphed. If he was triumphant on the cross, how much more now? Ephesians chapter 1 verses 20 and 21. Look at what it says. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above what? Every principality, every power, and every dominion and might, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the ages to come. You know what? The first person To whom this vision is given is to a person who was oppressed by demons. And you know what God was telling her and through her to all of us who were oppressed once upon a time by the power of Satan. No power of Satan can ever hold you captive again. Because I have overcome every power of darkness and principality and power of darkness. And you are seated together with me in the heavenly places. What a vision given to a once upon a time demon-possessed, fully sinful lady. That is my God. A witness who is a woman and completely possessed once upon a time. So this morning, if you were that person who would say, Lord, I was looked down upon. You know, the first apologist in the Bible, you know who the first apologist was? Not Paul not even Peter, and definitely not Ravi Zacharias. It's found in John's Gospel chapter 4. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Look at the reasoning of this lady. John's Gospel chapter 4. Look at what it says. And verse 20. 28 and 29 and 30. John's Gospel chapter 4, verse 28, 29 and 30. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, (laughs) look at this, come and see the man who told me all the things I... Abba, come on. Can you, can you, can you please argue if this is the Christ or not? Then they went out of the city and came to him and after that they stay there for a few days and you know what they say, we don't believe your No, we believe him because we have seen him the first apologist in the Bible a woman who was delivered from the power of sin and from the power of hell and this morning you could be that and you know what the resurrection says the resurrection message is given to one of the least of all the people whom never in society would be accepted in fact, the Simon the Pharisee said, "If this man knew who this kind of a woman is, he's a prophet." To that woman, God reveals Himself to him, to uh, to a uh, to, uh, to the most unlikely of people. What about the next set? What is the message given to her, though? <laughs> what is the message given to Madam Mary? Okay, you know what the message given to Mary is. Because she has been restored, what is the message given to her? Will be also a message of restoration. Okay. Because, why do I say this? Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. And verse uh, 4, 5, 6, 4, 5, 6 and 7. Okay. And when they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe. Because Mary Magdalene is also there among, among uh, these people. Okay, On the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is written. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And then, how does it It Verse 7. But go tell his disciples. Not full stop. And Peter, ahaha, kya baat hai? It's very interesting, right? Is, is Peter not, not among the disciples? Well, we just heard two weeks back, two, two, two nights back, they asked him, are you among his disciples? He said, no. Are you among him? He said, no. Ah. Okay. We you take your confession. And your confession is definitely a reflection of your heart. And then he says, go and tell his disciples and that fellow Peter who denied me, that he's going before you in Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. This is given to whom? Mary. So the disciple <laughs> has to take the message of the woman who has been shown mercy. Before we go to the message, there's something else which I want to show. Turn to John's Gospel, chapter 20. Okay, Turn to John's Gospel, chapter 20 and read uh, verse 13 and 14. Yeah, 13 and 14. Okay. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken my Lord away and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and she did not know that it was Jesus. Okay, move on. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposing him to be a gardener, He said. she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she said to her, said, said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, it's not teacher or master. It is a Rabboni. You know what Rabboni means? Ah. Eli means what? My God. El means God. Eli. Eliya means my God is Yahweh. Okay. Eliya means my God is Yahweh. Rabboni means my teacher, not master. My teacher. You know the second message which was given to her or other lesson which was given to her is now, now Mary now I am going to be your teacher for good. How do I know this? John's Gospel chapter 14 verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, what will he do? He will teach you all things. To whom, Baba? To a person who graduated from Rabble College? No. To a person who was very, very educated? No. To the best in the world, no. To the least in the world, God says, I'm gonna be your teacher, now. I'm gonna be your teacher. I'm gonna be, that's the reason why the new covenant is fantastic. You know what he says? Nobody has to say, teach. I will be your teacher. I will write your law on the tables of your heart and, and your mind. And I will cause you to walk in my ways. You know why? Because I will never remember your sins anymore and I will be with you, and I will be in you, and I will teach you. This revelation given to the woman. And what is the first message? The message of restoration. We looked at that in Mark's Gospel chapter 16. And what is the restoration? Message of restoration, Mark's Gospel chapter 16. And verse 7, go tell the disciples and Peter. What about him? That is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Okay, now this is what we call as a deja vu moment is going to happen to him. So let us look at Peter. So John's gospel chapter 21. Before we go to uh, John's gospel chapter 21, let us, I want to look at another very interesting passage. Uh, John's gospel chapter 20. Uh, Read from verses 3 to 8. Okay, 3 to 8. Yeah, 3 to 8. Peter therefore went out and the other disciples and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. So either uh, Peter was uh, a slow runner, or he was a heavy runner because maybe he was under guilt, okay, and condemnation, you know. But the other person just ran. Who's the other person? Oh, John. Okay, fine. With the same, I don't know. If the same person who ran away with his clothes gone, it's very interesting. Is running running to Jesus first, and then he's stooping down and looking in. Who's this? Peter saw the linen clothes lying there. Yet he did not go in. That word saw, you know what it means? Glanced. First he just glanced. Then Simon Peter came, following him and went into the tomb and he saw. You know what that word saw is? The first one is blepo. The Greek is blepo. The second one is theoreo. So he started analyzing the whole situation. Looking carefully and Discussing with John, what does this mean? And then, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying in the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw. What is that saw? He perceived, and then he believed. So there is a glancing when you see. There is theorizing and seeing and there is a third seeing which causes you to believe. What seeing is there in our lives? Do we just glance or do we theorize? Or is there a seeing which leads us to believing? It is interesting that Peter does not believe yet. Because Peter has to be totalist, so let us go and learn from Peter. Okay, John's Gospel, chapter twenty-one. Now, verse one onwards. Let's read this chapter. You see, when I was we when when we were in uh, our youth group, right? This was the text that we took for our drama, and I can never forget this in my entire life because for, this is the hope for all those who are pe- those people who have failed God. This chapter is a hope for those who have denied Jesus and who have failed God. And how many of us have not failed him? Multiple times in our lives. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. So the scene is being set. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee. The sons of Zebedee and the two other disciples were together. So they were all together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Okay. That's what he said. I'm going fishing. And what happens? He's the leader. No. They also said, we are also going with you. And they went out. How? Immediately, okay, they went out immediately. See, this is, (laughs) this is, unbelief has got such fantastic feet. You just go out immediately. And they went out and immediately got into the port and that night they caught nothing. This one, one thing one, a man of God said. Anything that a man does without God, he is bound to fail miserably or succeed Even more miserably. Powerful. Once again. Anything that a man does without God. He is bound to fail miserably. Or succeed even more miserably. And if you have failed. Thank God. There is hope. Thank God. He got nothing. Thank God. He didn't give up also. The whole night. See, these people were hard-working people, okay? They just don't just give up like that. No, they were like the researchers in the lab, okay? I can relate to them. 24 hours, if it's not come, they'll go back to the lab again the next day. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. They still didn't know. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered, no. Very interesting, right? What he calls them? Children. They answered, no. Then he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you find, find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it because of the multitude of the fish. Okay. You know, flashback moment, no? When something like this happens, suddenly your life goes, goes is a flashback. Let us see the flashback. This is Luke's gospel chapter 5 and verse 3 onwards. He got into one of the boats which was Simon's and he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Jesus just rented Simon Simon's boat. Okay, See, once Jesus rents somebody, he is not like us. He will never not pay you back. He is going to pay you back. So he said, Simon, I just rented your boat for a while. Now I'm going to pay you back. So I'm going to pay you. It's actually one of the ways of looking at it. But look at what he does. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, launch into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Stop here for a minute. Stop here for a minute. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, Chapter chapter 2, verse 6 to 8. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? What is a certain place? Psalm 8. Okay. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? Next verse. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. And set him over all the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. For next verse, he says, for I don't know, the same verse, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is put under him. Then he says, But now we do not see yet all things put under him. What are these under him, Baba? Now go to Psalm 8. This is quotation from Psalm 8, okay? Verse 6 to 9. I've taught my children this song, this song, okay, in in the Hebrew. They love this song. Okay. You made him have dominion over the works of your hand. Put all things under subjection, in other words. You have put all things under his feet. Who is talking about man? All sheep, oxen, the beasts of the field. The birds of the air. ha! Huh. The fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Let me stop here for a minute. When man sinned, the entire creation, he had no subjection over it. It was gone. He lost dominion. And Jesus comes. He was made a little lower than the angels. And he says, your work is cursed, Peter. And you want me to redeem your work? You have to exercise dominion. You don't have dominion. The only way you will have dominion is by having you in my life. And then what does he he do? The whole night he caught what? Nothing. He said, you know, all the fish, please be there. Don't come. And the moment he gets into the water, go back to Luke's gospel chapter 4 now. So chapter 5 and look look at verse 8. Verse uh, uh, 5, verse 5, okay. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. You know what that actually means? We have done so much, but it's not satisfying us. That's exactly what Adam had faced, no? What did Adam face? By the sweat of your brow. And what will it produce? and thistles. There'll no be any satisfaction. Your work is cursed. But now, what I'm going to do? I'm going to redeem your work. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let the net, I'll let, down, let down the net. And when he had done this, they caught a great number of fish. What do you think happened? There was one man who was exercising dominion. He said, "All the fish, come in there, come in here." And all fish came to Peter's net. And look at the response of Peter. Next verse, seven and eight. You know what he says? And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners and they came and was it? Simon Peter saw it. He fell down on his knees and he said, depart from me for I am a sinful man, Lord. Now I know, Lord. You know why I'm not able to exercise dominion over my life? Simply because I'm a man given to sin. There is no power of sin over my life. There's no power. I have no power. you are showing me on a parable form. I am a sinful man. I am defeated by sin. I am a sinful man. He didn't say I am a sinner. I have committed sins. You know what he says? I am a sinner. I am a sinful man Lord. Depart from me. Why? For he and all who were with him. Were astonished at the catch of the fish which they had taken. They understood, man, who is this man who is able to exercise dominion over the fish of the sea? Was was it not us to whom we have been given dominion over the fish of the sea? But we have lost it. And there's one man. One man. We've lost it because we were sinful. We were just not sinners. We were sinful. And therefore he repents. And in the next verse, you know what it says? Verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You will truly exercise dominion now. That is just a parable. No, you're just not going to catch fish. You're going to catch men. You catch. So they forsook everything and followed him. Now let's come back to John's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 3. Simon says, I'm going fishing. (laughs) Now you see, you are going to exercise dominion, Simon. Sorry, it's not going to happen. We are going to, we are also going with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say, do you have any fish? Do you have anything to eat? They said, no, cast the net onto the other side of the boat and you'll find some. And they cast and now they were not able to draw it because of the multitude of fish and something very interesting is given uh, there, the detail. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard it, it was a Lord. He put on his outer garment for he had removed it, plunged into the sea. And the other disciples came in the little boat, dragging the net with fish. But okay. yeah, go on. That nine. Then as, they, as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there. <laughs> what? <laughs> fish already there and bread? What is going on over here? Jesus already fished. And Jesus already made the bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you caught. And then look at the Simon Peter went up and dragged the net full of large fish. 153... Although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask anything. Who are you knowing that it was the Lord? Now what happens? Look at what happens. The next question. Jesus then came and took the bread, gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus saw Simon Peter said, Simon son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. I fed you, right? Or You feed my lambs. Okay. He said to him again, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep, other translations will use the word, take, me, take care of my sheep. First, you have to feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. And finally, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I really love you. You know what he said? Jesus said, feed my sheep. And The next verse. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked wherever you wished. Okay. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry wherever you do not want to go. And that is how Peter is restored. Peter is restored. What are the lessons that we learn from this? What does the resurrection tell us? The resurrection story give us. First, that He's our savior. He is our redeemer. He saved us. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 2. We know this very well. Actually, four, the last verse. Chapter 4, the last verse. And then, verses 5, 1 to 2. Who was delivered up for our offenses and raised because of our justification and then having been justified by faith we have peace with god he saved us from our penalty of sin and then he says peter you were not only sinner but you didn't have power over sin it says in romans chapter 6 verses 4 to 7 and 12 to 14 this is what he says romans chapter 6 verses 4 to 7 therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together with, the like, with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And 6 and 7, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done with that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin and was 12 to 14. Therefore, do not let sin... In your mortal bodies. And verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Because you are no longer under law. But under grace. Now you have the power. To overcome sin. And you will say. What if I fall? Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 23 to 25. Hebrews chapter 7. Verses 23 to 25. Also there were many priests. Because they were prevented from. continue By death from continuing. But he. Because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save us to the uttermost. Those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make what? Intercession for us. That is the reason why 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 will say something very powerfully. This is what he says. That which, sorry, chapter 2, chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you that you do not sin. But even if anybody sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous forever. What is he doing? Making intercession for us. He, uh, Romans chapter 8 verses 32 to 34. Romans chapter 8 verses 32 to 34. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him for a, uh, delivered him for us all. How shall he not with him also give us freely all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, what? He is risen, who is seated at the right hand of God, who also forever makes intercession for us. Forever now. Whenever we sin, if ever we sin. We go back to God and say, Lord, forgive me. He's there forever. And you know what it says? The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And we do not have have to even sin anymore because we can reign over sin now. That's powerful. That we can reign over sin. That is the reason why 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 55 to 57 will say... Powerful verses. We know this very well. First Corinthians chapter 15 verses 55 to 57. Oh, death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of the sin is the law. And verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Christ Jesus. We don't have to suffer under sin. We don't have to be overcome by sin. We can overcome sin in our lives. We can overcome sin in our lives. That is the reason why he tells, "Look." up to him and be saved. Why? What, were, what are we supposed to look up? We look up to the brazen altar, the bronze serpent. And those who were stung by sin, who have the poison of sin flowing through their veins, when they see that, they see that the poison of sin is taken away and the penalty of sin is taken away. Not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin is broken on the cross. That is the reason why the hymn writer will say, he breaks the power of what? Cancelled sin. What a statement that is. He breaks the power of cancelled sin and makes the... Captives free. His blood blood can make the fallest clean. His blood has availed for me. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My great remorse praise. The glories of my God and King. And the powers of His grace. He's a savior. He's a sanctifier. He's the empowerer. And He's the intercessor. All because He has given us the power of resurrection. Through the resurrection from the dead. And therefore we have a hope. What hope is that? A living hope. A living hope. First Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 onwards. Blessed be, thank you. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Unto what? Unto an inheritance. Where? Incorruptible. At his right hand, what are there? Pleasures forevermore. Incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. Okay. So this morning, if you have been a person who is struggling with sin, all of us are. We can ask God, Lord, the same power which rose Christ Jesus from the dead. It says in Romans chapter 8, the spirit which rose Christ Jesus from the dead will quicken your mortal bodies so that you don't have to give in to the temptations of sin. You can overpower sin. You can overcome sin. And that was a parable which was shown to Peter. Peter, you don't have dominion. You don't have dominion over sin. Sin has dominion over you. You are so confident in and of yourself. But unless and until I come and live my life through you. You can never overcome sin. So this morning can we stand up in the presence of the Lord. And just do the small prayer. Very simple prayer. Lord, empower me. Empower me. Empower me, Lord. And those who have failed him can say, Lord, I have failed you, Lord. I have failed you. I have denied you so many times. But would you come to me again? The way you restored me. The way you restored Peter, could you restore me too? And he is. He is willing. He is willing if we are willing. And some of you say, Lord, I have been looked down upon. I have been called the." The worst names. but God, through the testimony of Mary Magdalene tells us all who are under the grip and the power of the enemy and of sin, the first person who became a witness of my resurrection, the first person who took took the message of restoration, the first person who even spoke to the disciples was not a scholar was not even a righteous man. It was a sinner. Sinner who had no hope, who obtained mercy. I was restored. Father, this morning, we come to you in the name of Jesus. All of us have failed you. Father, we just succumbed to sin so many times. We allowed sin to overpower us so many times. We never exercise dominion because we do not know the power of the resurrection. And Father you said the same spirit which raised Christ Jesus from the dead which declared him to be the son of God with power through the resurrection from the dead. Father that same spirit is available to us And I pray, Lord, that we will experience that power. We just don't want to know the scriptures and have no power. Father, you said in your word that we err because we do not know the scriptures, nor the power of God. Father, you have given us a witness of the scriptures that you rose from the dead. And may we also experience the power of your resurrection, even as we believe that we will exercise dominion over Lord. Over sin and over the powers of darkness and over every power of this world. Father, grant us grace to that and we pray. Restore us the joy of our salvation. Father, don't take away, don't take away the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit from us, O oh Lord. Cast us not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from us. But Lord, grant us your Spirit. That is the hope of the resurrection, O oh Lord. Through the resurrection from the dead, we receive a living hope. Why? Because Christ is birthed in us through that same spirit which rose Christ from the dead. Lord, enable us to experience that power, that power of the resurrection, O Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. For in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.